Hello, tax world. My name is John Will Graham, and I'm joined today by three very special guests who I'll let introduce themselves now. Hi, I'm Erin. Hi, I'm Abby. And I'm Jenna. Thanks for having us, John Will. Thanks, y'all, for coming on the show today. Uh, so today, we're going to be talking about one of the more famous celebrity tax cases involving none other than Martha Stewart. So before we get started, I thought we'd have Erin tell us a little bit more about Martha Stewart. Erin? Thank you, John Will. Okay, so other than being best friends with Snoop Dogg, Martha is best known for being an American businesswoman, a writer, a television personality, and a former model. She has written numerous books, but in the writing world, she is most famous for her magazine, Martha Stewart Living, that has been a bestseller since 1994. The magazine also led to a television program. Both of these contained lifestyle content like cooking, home decorating, entertaining, DIY projects, traveling, and gardening. The show ran until Martha's sentence to prison, which we will get into later in the podcast. Before all of her successful endeavors, Martha was a stockbroker. A few years later, in 1976, she left Wall Street and decided to open a catering business out of her kitchen. Her cooking and catering became so popular that she published her first cookbook in 1982 to share her delicious homemade recipes. The cookbook became so popular that it led to many other business opportunities for Martha. And that's how the Martha Stewart empire we know today began. Now back to you, John Will. Thanks, Erin. So I thought before we got into the specifics of the Martha Stewart case today, and there's some important overarching tax concepts that we need to discuss, namely the difference between tax avoidance and tax evasion. So before we get into those, a good starting point to understand these terms is to go back to one of the fundamentals of the U.S. tax system, and that's the concept of voluntary compliance. So voluntary compliance is a system of compliance that relies on individual citizens reporting their income freely and voluntarily. They calculate their tax liabilities correctly, and they file a tax return on time. So the system is based on um, voluntary compliance where the taxpayer's responsibility is to report all their income honestly to the tax authorities or the Internal Revenue Service. So it follows that when people fail to declare some of their reportable income, they are breaking the law. So that brings us to tax evasion. Tax evasion is the failure to pay or deliberate underpayment of taxes. And tax evasion is illegal. So one way that people try to evade paying taxes by failing to report all or some of their income. Sometimes people do not report income gained um, through illegal activities such as gambling or selling stolen goods. Um, but other examples can be failing to report income from what's known as the underground economy. Now, first off, what an interesting name, underground economy. But really the underground economy is essentially any type of money-making activity uh, that people don't report to the government. So these activities could be illegal, uh, but they also could certainly be very legal activities. Uh, these legal activities could include things like garage sales or catering, cleaning, babysitting, pet sitting, childcare, tutoring, uh, manual labor, anything that's a type of cash in hand payment. Um, this also could include income from online platforms such as Etsy, uneven gains made on digital currencies like Bitcoin. Uh, tax evasion can also include things like overstating deductions and failing to, fa to file a tax return. Um, if, if taxpayers fail to pay what officials say they owe, the IRS can assess a penalty in addition to collecting those back taxes. So 
However, if a taxpayer is charged with tax evasion, they could also be convicted of a felony. So if you go to Internal Revenue Code, Section 7201 uh, details the penalties of tax evasion. If you are convicted, you're subject to either imprisonment for up to five years or fined up to $250,000 as an individual or $500,000 as a corporation. You could also be sentenced to both. And you could also be required to pay the bill for the cost of the prosecution in addition to your own defense, which is crazy. There are a number of penalties that authorities could apply, such as a failure to file penalty or an underpayment penalty. And interest can also be charged on the penalties that are owed. In addition to all of those things, there are even more undesirable consequences to tax evasion. For example, if you're convicted, you may have a higher audit risk, and your CPA may even refuse to work with you in the future on ethical grounds. So hopefully all of this clearly communicates a tax evasion very serious thing. That sounds a little scary, right? I mean, we don't want to be convicted of tax evasion. So of course, we all know, even as accountants here, and in the tax world, the Internal Revenue Code is very complex. So if there are innocent or careless mistakes, and they can and do happen, um, in those instances, the IRS will attribute the error to negligence rather than tax fraud, uh, though you still could be hit with a penalty about 20% um, if the taxes are associated with understated income. So certainly, we don't want to do anything to illegally uh, reduce our tax liability. But are there legal ways to reduce your taxes? I mean, I do feel I speak for probably every person listening that we all want to pay less taxes than more taxes if we're able to, right? And that's where the concept of tax avoidance comes in. So tax avoidance may sound similar in some ways, but it's very different from tax evasion. So while tax evasion is against the law, tax avoidance is perfectly legal and it's often encouraged. So what is tax avoidance? Well, in simple terms, tax avoidance is an action taken to lessen tax liability and maximize after-tax income. So tax avoidance is all about managing, structuring your finances in a way that complies to the tax code while at the same time minimizes your total income and tax. And it's perfectly fine, it's been doing for, so for a long time. In fact, more than 80 years ago, in the Gregory versus Helbring case, the Supreme Court said, quote, the legal right of a taxpayer to decrease the amount of what otherwise would be his taxes or altogether avoid them by means which the law permits cannot be doubted, quote, end quote. So within the tax code, there are provisions that allow eligible taxpayers to limit the tax they pay by claiming things like certain deductions, credits, or adjustments to income. And essentially, these provisions have been built into the tax code to influence taxpayer behavior. Um, so what are some examples of this? For instance, uh, to encourage homeownership, an interest deduction is available for eligible, for eligible homeowners with a mortgage. To make it easier for primary caregivers to get back to their job and career, working parents can potentially qualify for credit like childcare expenses. Or to promote financial protection for families, a death benefit from a life insurance policy is also exempt from taxes. In reality, most taxpayers, uh, including myself, are probably already engaging in some form of tax avoidance. Uh, for example, if you pay money into an employer-sponsored retirement plan with pre-tax funds, there's a tax avoidance. This is a tax avoidance strategy because, firstly, you're deferring tax payment, and secondly, you will likely pay less tax when the funds are withdrawn in your retirement. If you hold on to an investment for a longer period to qualify for a long-term capital gains rate, you're also engaging in tax avoidance. Some other examples might be deducting business expenses uh, related to your personal vehicle, laptop, or cell phone that you use heavily for work. You increase the amount of money you have in uh, tax-deductible or tax-free accounts like an IRA or a 401k or even some college plans. And even choosing financing options such as home equity loans that have tax-deductible interest. So working with a tax expert 
to accurately forecast your income and determine the best time uh, for certain tax and financial actions is really important. The fact is that many people pay more federal income tax than necessary because they misunderstand tax laws and they fail to keep good records. What about things like tax loopholes though? Um, so tax is, are they tax avoidance or tax evasion? So the tax code is complex and always changing. It's unsurprising that there are always gonna be experts that have found ways to take advantage of particular provisions to reduce tax liability, and they're not violating the law. Uh, but regardless um, of whether loopholes within tax legislations are deliberate, uh, they're regarded as tax avoidance. And one of the biggest difference that we need to take away between tax evasion and tax avoidance is simply your intent. Are you trying to avoid taxes? Or are you trying to evade them? When assessing a failure to pay as tax avoidance versus tax evasion, tax authorities are often gonna look at the intention of the taxpayer. If the taxpayer is deemed to deliberately conceal assets or income, the IRS is gonna step in and likely attribute that act to tax evasion. And while you won't need to figure out the entire tax code to avoid being charged with tax evasion, you should have a working knowledge of the provisions relevant to you. So if you're claiming certain types of credits, be sure you understand those rules around eligibility, how you can claim those credits, uh, limit and record keeping. And while tax evasion may seem willful, you can be subject to penalties if they're considered to be illegal, which you were unaware of when you were practicing them. So taking all this away, all the information, uh, what are some ways generally you can avoid being charged with tax evasion? Two things. First is know the tax laws for income taxes and employment taxes. So for example, knowing what deductions are legal and the record keeping requirements for deductions is a big factor when you're trying to avoid an audit. Uh, for employers, knowing the payroll tax reporting and payment requirements will help keep you out of trouble. So know the tax laws. Number two is get an honest, careful tax professional, like a CPA, to help you with your taxes, if you're not one yourself. Listen to your tax preparer and keep excellent records of all your income and your expenses, especially if you have a cash-based business. And keep reading articles um, that talk about tax evasion. Many tax positions are never challenged by the IRS, honestly, and many audits result in no additional tax liability. But if you're faced with a challenge and the likelihood of substantial additional liability, taxpayers should take great care to protect against the possibility of a criminal referral. While these criminal referrals are rare, they can be devastating. So fortunately though, by taking appropriate precautions and avoiding certain suspicious conduct identified by the IRS, you as a taxpayer can greatly minimize that risk. So there's a lot of information but I think that's gonna give us some real key understanding into this Martha Stewart case. So now I want to turn it back over to Erin. She's gonna explain more about the Martha Stewart case specifically. Erin? Thank you, John Will, and thanks for differentiating those two for us. I'm gonna tell you all a little bit about how Martha Stewart committed tax evasion by not paying her property taxes. She had to pay $220,000 in bad property taxes and penalties to the state of New York for her vacation home in the East Hamptons. She tried to claim that she did not spend much time there, so therefore she did not owe any property taxes on this home. But that is not how it works at all. <clears throat> the New York state law requires that all properties in each county, except New York City, must be assessed at a uniform percentage of the market value each year. This means that an assessment will be equal to a set percentage of the market value as determined by the local assessor's office. The property tax bill will equal the final assessment amount multiplied by the local tax property rate. 
According to the New York state law, the only properties exempt from paying property taxes are those owned by a religious organization or the government. And obviously Martha Stewart's vacation home in the Hamptons is neither of these. Therefore, Martha Stewart had no exemptions from paying her property tax on her second residence in the East Hamptons. Now we're gonna turn it over to Abby to talk about when Martha Stewart was convicted. Thanks, Erin. So the issue Erin mentioned regarding tax evasion wouldn't be the only brush with crime Stewart had. In fact, her situation worsened before it got better. Her next scandal began in December of 2001 when Stewart sold nearly all of her 4,000 shares in the biotech company Imclone Systems. This usually would not have been an issue, except Imclone Systems stock fell 16% the very next day due to the FDA rejecting Imclone's primary pharmaceutical product, Herbitux. By selling her shares, Stewart avoided a $45,673 loss. Stewart selling her shares the day before, the news broke on Herbitux definitely caused some suspicion. But what really raised a red flag was that the CEO of Imclone, Sam Voxkull, also ordered his extensive amount of shares to be sold the same day as Stewart's, with his shares valuing around $5 million. Although selling your shares on the company before a downward spike can be chalked up to luck or coincidence, that argument cannot be made in this case. During the investigation of this suspicious activity, it became evident that Stewart had indeed acted on non-public information. It turned out that Stewart's stockbroker at the time, Peter Bakanovich, was the one who informed her to sell her shares in Inclome. Bakanovich worked very closely with Sam Waskell and was aware of Waskell's decision to sell his shares. Although he did not know precisely why Waskell was selling his shares, he tipped off Stewart to what the CEO was doing. During the 2004 trials, it was very easy for regulators to identify and prove Sam Waskell's crime of insider trading, as he was fully aware of the FDA rejecting Herbitux. However, the court would have a harder time prosecuting Martha Stewart, since she was unaware of the specific reason why Imclone stock was going to decline. Her defense argued her actions were only questionable, not illegal. This claim was so strong, it actually led the prosecution to drop the felony insider trading charges, but Stewart was not in the clear just yet. During the investigation process, Stewart told federal investigators various lies to cover up certain truths surrounding her trade. So in March of 2004, Stewart was found guilty of felony charges of conspiracy, obstruction of an agency proceeding, and making false statements to federal investigators and was sentenced in July 2004 to serve a five-month term in a federal correctional facility, followed by a two-year period of supervised release. Sam Waskell and Peter Bakanovich were also convicted of federal charges and sentenced to prison. On October 4, 2004, Stewart began her five months of incarceration at the federal prison camp in Alderson, West Virginia. Although some feared the worst for the 63-year-old during her prison stay, she actually did well in prison. While incarcerated, she took a job as a liaison between her fellow inmates and the prison administration. She even took on the name M. Diddy while there. Finally, on March 4, 2005, Stewart was released and began her home confinement period. While a series of poor choices can lead some lives in ruin, Stewart truly showed amazing resilience and adaptability after her insider trading scandal. Jenna, would you like to dive more into what Stuart accomplished after prison and what she's up to today? 
Yes, thanks, Abby. So like Abby was saying, you might be wondering now, 16 years later, what is Martha up to? Well, I'm happy to report that she is thriving. This summer, she shared a photo on Instagram of herself in the pool at her infamous home in the Hamptons. And she stirred quite a buzz with the photography or with the photograph. And I think that she was really making a statement. She is a woman and she is a business person. She is successful and very much still in the game, so to speak. To anyone who might question her legitimacy, here's a list of some of her ventures. She's got the Martha Stewart cookbooks, Martha Stewart Wine Company, Martha Stewart CBD, selling gummies and oil. Um, and she's partnered with companies like Marley and Spoon, which is like HelloFresh or Blue Apron with lots of delicious meals from the Martha Stewart's kitchen. Safa Vey, designer rugs, iGourmet with different gift baskets and goodies, and Berry House, which is coffee roasters inspired by Martha Stewart's personality. And in the midst of the pandemic, Martha rolled out a program called Homeschool with Martha. It was or is a way for people to learn how to cook new meals while being quarantined. She has taken advantage of opportunities in the midst of unprecedented times, and she is promoting some great things. Personally, I love to bake, but cooking is a struggle. So for me, having something like her how-tos for cooking, that's invaluable. And as a side note, it'd be a relief to my husband since he does most of the cooking. But in all seriousness, Martha is a 79-year-old successful businesswoman, and she is not slowing down. The best example is the launch of the Martha Stewart CBD products that were, were released just last month. She is entering new product markets with promising futures. The slogan for this new campaign is hashtag find your inner Martha. How inspiring is that? I want to be successful. And she is, and look as good as she does too. And I think that will really appeal to her followers. I expect this new product line to be very successful. So why does that matter that Martha is successful now? At the beginning of this podcast, we discussed Martha's tax evasion and the insider trading convictions. They are important and they were very serious, but that was not the end of Martha Stewart by any means. I think that is super important to recognize um, she was a prominent woman before those scandals, who I'm sure had many people in her corner, but even still, she did not let her tax dispute or her prison sentence humiliate her to the point of giving up her career. And I think that could have been an easy thing for her to do at the age of 63, but instead, she got back up and kept going. We're all human, we all make poor decisions, but we can learn from one another so that we do not all have to make the same mistakes. And so I think this is just a great example for everyone to take this lesson away from. And I think that brings us full circle about what we want to resonate with our listeners today. We're here to discuss tax issues. We wanna have some fun along the way too, but we wanted to focus on the difference between tax avoidance and evasion because it is a very real and relevant topic for all taxpayers. We chose a high profile scenario with Martha Stewart, but this is an issue people in every tax bracket are faced with. Like John Will said, there are various provisions through credits, deductions, and adjustments that lower tax liabilities, but it's the intent behind the tax strategies and decisions that are made that are crucial and determine whether it's an issue of lowering the tax liability or evading taxes owed. My former boss said it best, if the question begins with what if, the answer is probably no. 
In Martha Stewart's case, she probably thought, what if I say I didn't live in my home in the Hamptons for very much time during the year? But if your tax strategy idea cannot be backed up with tax codes or regulations, or even personal logs to back up your statement, you are on a dangerous path for unnecessary and negative consequences. The amount of money you might save is not worth the penalties and fees that will come if you're caught. So that's what we want you to take away from this today. Thank you so much, Jenna. And thank you to Abby and Aaron as well. Y'all been really uh, helpful in us talking about uh, this Martha Stewart case. And last, thank you to our listeners. Thank you so much for joining us today. And like Martha Stewart once said, without an open-minded mind, you can never be successful. Thank you. <laughs>